Both of our Bible readings this morning are taken from 2 Corinthians. Um, So our first reading is taken from 2 Corinthians chapter 8. And now, brothers and sisters, we want you to know about the grace that God has given the Macedonian churches. In the midst of a very severe trial, their overflowing joy and their extreme poverty welled up in in rich generosity. For I testify that they gave as much as they were able, and even beyond their ability. Entirely on their own, they urgently pleaded with us for the privilege of sharing in this service to the Lord's people, and they exceeded our expectations. They gave themselves first of all to the Lord, and then by the will of God also to us. So we urged Titus, just as he had earlier made a beginning, to bring also to completion this act of grace on your part. But since you excel in everything, in faith, in speech, in knowledge, in complete earnestness, and in the love we have kindled in you, see that you also excel in this grace of giving. I am not commanding you, but I want to test the sincerity of your love by comparing it with the earnestness of others. For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor, so that through his poverty, so that you through his poverty might become rich. And here is my judgment about what is best for you in this matter. Last year, you were the first not only to give, but also to have the desire to do so. Now finish the work, so that your eager willingness to do it may be matched by your completion of it, according to your means. For if the willingness is there, the gift is acceptable according to what one has, not according to what one does not have. Our desire is not that others might be relieved while you are hard-pressed, but that there might be equality. At the present time, your plenty will supply what they need, so that in turn, their plenty will supply what you need. The goal is equality. As it is written, the one who gathered much did not have too much, and the one who gathered little did not have too little. So now moving on to 2 Corinthians chapter 9. Remember this. Whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly, and whoever sows generously will also reap generously. Each of you should give what you have decided in your heart to give, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. And God is able to bless you abundantly, so that in all things, at all times, having all that you need, you will abound in every good work. As it is written, They have freely scattered their gifts to the poor. Their righteousness endures forever. 
Now he who supplies seed to the sower and bread for food will also supply and increase your store of seed and will enlarge the harvest of your righteousness. You will be enriched in every way so that you can be generous on every occasion and through us your generosity will result in thanksgiving to God. This service that you perform is not only supplying the needs of the Lord's people, but is also overflowing in many expressions of thanks to God. Because of the service by which you have proved yourselves, others will praise God for the obedience that accompanies your confession of the gospel of Christ and for your generosity in sharing with them and with everyone else. And in their prayers for you, their hearts will go out to you because of the surpassing grace God has given you. Thanks be to God for his indescribable gift. Why do people give money away? This week, I read an article on charitylink.net where they they gave a few reasons why people give money. So the first one is moral duty. Some people give money because they feel like it's the right thing to do. And then there's ego. Some people might give because it makes them feel good about themselves. There's social dynamics. If other people are giving, then some people give because they don't want to miss out. There's trust. Some people might give to an organization because they really trust it. And then finally, there's impact. People are motivated to give if there's an impact that can be clearly seen that they're giving to. There's a whole range of, people, of reasons why people might give money away. But in 2 Corinthians 8 and 9, which we're looking at, Paul's getting at a far deeper reason why Christians want to give to those in need. For those here today that you might not normally come along to church or if you're not sure about where you're at with Jesus, I just want to say that we don't always look at giving, but we just happen to be up to this passage this week. Um, We've been going through 2 Corinthians for a couple months now. And what I want today is not for you to feel guilty or pressured in any way. What I want for us to see is that Jesus saves not because of what we do, but because of his generosity towards us. Our giving to others is simply a voluntary response to what Jesus has done for us. Giving doesn't earn us anything. Our giving reflects our love for Jesus. And that's the first thing we see in this passage. Our giving comes from the sincerity of our love for Jesus. Our giving comes from the sincerity of our love for Jesus. Paul starts chapter 8 by telling the church in Corinth about other churches and how much they've given. Look at chapter 8, verse 3. For I testify that they gave as much as they were able and even beyond their ability, entirely on their own. At first glance, it sounds like Paul is trying to stir up the Corinthians by talking about other churches, trying to create some kind of competition to try to squeeze more money out of the Corinthians and squeeze more money out of the Macedonians. But let's just keep looking to see if there's any more to it. 
Because in verse 5, Paul says, And they exceeded our expectations. They gave themselves first of all to the Lord, and then by the will of God also to us. And then here's the kicker. Look at verses 8 to 9. I am not commanding you, but want to test the sincerity of your love by comparing it with the earnestness of others. For you know that the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor, so that you through his poverty might become rich. Here we see the real issue that Paul's trying to get at. He hasn't so much brought up the fact that the Macedonians have given to show that they have and how much. Paul brings up the Macedonian churches to show why they gave. The start of verse 5, he says, they gave themselves first to the Lord. In other words, the Macedonians are giving because of their love for Jesus. Paul is giving the Corinthians an example of another church giving with the right motivation so they can see how they should approach giving. Paul's primary concern isn't the giving itself. It's true that what they were giving to was really important. The, The church in Jerusalem was facing a really difficult famine and they really needed the money. But what was really important was not simply that the Corinthians gave money. What mattered was that their reflect their giving reflected their love for Jesus. Look at verse 9 where Paul highlights what Jesus did for them. He says, Though Jesus was rich, yet for your sake he became poor, so that you through his poverty might become rich. It's kind of like this. My wife Beck's love language is gift giving. She loves gifts. She loves giving them, receiving them, making them, the whole lot. If I were to give her, for her birthday each year, a gift card to Coles, it wouldn't really go down so well. I could say that I love her as much as I like, but my words would ring a little bit hollow. It's a bit like what Paul's expressing to the Corinthians here. Since they were the ones who said they wanted to give to the church in Jerusalem, then Paul tells them to do that in a genuine way true to what they said. And that means not doing things in a token way, but in a generous way that's inspired by Jesus. And that's just like how the Macedonians gave. The Corinthians say they love Jesus, and if they do, if their love is sincere, then they'll be generous with what they have. I read an ABC News story about a man named Graham Hopp. He was shown unbelievable grace by an American couple. Basically, early on in his life, he was, he was living on the street. He was even on, living on the street when he had a child. He had a rough past. He'd been dealt a bad hand, and he'd also made some bad choices. But he had a love of agriculture, and he still went and competed in the Sydney Easter show. And one day, he was turned away because he didn't have decent enough clothes to come in and compete. But for some reason, one of the judges took pity on him and showed him unbelievable grace. First, he provided clothes for him, and then he did something ridiculous. He said, come to America, and you can pursue your interest in agriculture. Work for me, and my wife and I will give you a place to live and look after your child while you work. What do you reckon an act of grace like that does for a person? 
would turn Graham's life around. And now, 30 years later, all these years later, Graham has fostered over 30 kids. And he always took the hardest cases. He took the kids that no one else would take. An act of grace inspired a life of grace. If that's the kind of grace that inspires, if that's what that kind of grace inspires, how much more will the grace that Jesus has shown us inspire us? Jesus leaves his glory behind to become human and then to die an unimaginably awful death so we can be lifted up, reconciled with God. How could we not be changed and inspired by his grace to live a life of grace? So what does that mean for us? It means the same for us as it did for the Macedonians and the Corinthians. Our love for Jesus should drive us to being generous in lots of ways, including our giving. In chapter 8 and 9, Paul gives some really practical advice to the Corinthians about giving, which can also help us. Like in chapter 9, verse 7, Paul says our giving should should only be willing, not on a compulsion, and that we should give cheerfully. In chapter 8, verse 12, it's to be according to what we have and not according to what we don't have. The idea here is not that we bankrupt ourselves by giving away so that we're broke and then we resent the fact that we had to give. We also shouldn't think of it like a task with quotas that we have to fill. Paul isn't saying, if you don't give X amount, then you don't really love Jesus. He's saying, we should think about it for ourselves and I should decide what I can and want to give. And then I should do that, inspired by Jesus. So the first step in how we approach giving is to be like the Macedonians. Look to Jesus and what he's done for us and will inevitably, out of sincere love for Jesus, overflow in generosity towards others. The next thing we see in this passage is that our giving is ultimately from God and he rewards our giving with even more giving. Our giving is ultimately from God and he rewards our giving with even more giving. Paul highlights all through this passage that what enables us to give is God because God first gave to us and God gives us the means to give to others. In verse 1 of chapter 8, Paul says, we want you to know about the grace that God has given the Macedonian churches. And what's the grace that they've been given? Verse 2, in the midst of a very severe trial, their overflowing joy and their extreme poverty welled up in rich generosity. Their grace from God is that they give generously. In chapter 9, verse 8, Paul says, God is able to bless you abundantly so that in all things, at all times, having all that you need, you will abound in every good work. And then in chapter 9, verse 10 to 11, Paul says, Now he who supplies seed to the sower and bread for food will also supply and increase your store of seed and will enlarge the harvest of your righteousness. You will be enriched in every way so that you can be generous on every occasion. Paul isn't saying here that we should give money and then God will reward us so that we can get rich. He's saying God loves us to give because God loves us seeing seeing us give to others. God loves to see us being generous like him. And when we're generous, 
God enables us to keep being generous more and more. Notice, Paul's not saying that we should only start giving when God makes us rich and comfortable. That can't be the case, because remember in verse 2 for the Macedonians, their extreme poverty welled up in rich generosity. Paul makes it clear that giving doesn't flow out of our comfort. Our giving flows out of our wonder at Jesus. And our giving isn't about us being some kind of super generous person on our own. Our giving is about God giving us the desire to give. And whether we're well off or not so well off, either way, our generosity is enabled by God. And we're told God will enrich us, not so much with material rewards. God will enrich us with opportunities. God enriches us with a heart that wants to give again. If we're thinking of this like we should give so that we can be blessed by God and get rich, that would be a horrible twisting of the heart of this. That's what some people have done with this. That's what the so-called prosperity gospel is about, where you give to get. You give so that you'll get in this life, so that God will bless you with money and material possessions. But what we have here isn't at all about giving in order to get. This is not we give to get. This is we get to give. It's a completely different way of thinking about it. We don't give for selfish reasons. We give for righteous reasons. Like two of the servants in the parable of the talents that Jesus tells, like them we realize that what God gives us in this life was always his and remains his. And whatever benefits we get from investing what God gives us, they also remain his. And so what we're working toward is not our riches, our own glory. We're not looking to benefit ourselves at all. We're looking to see God's name lifted up. And that brings us to our final point, the final thing we see in this passage. Our giving is so that people give thanks to God. Our giving is so that people give thanks to God, not us. In chapter 9, verse 11, Paul says, You will be enriched in every way so that you can be generous on every occasion, and through us, your generosity will result in thanksgiving to God. In chapter 9, verse 13, he says, Because of the service by which you have proved yourselves, others will praise God for the obedience that accompanies in sharing with them and with everyone else. In chapter 9, verse 14, he says, And in the prayers for their heart, in their prayers for you, their hearts will go out to you because of the surpassing grace God has given you. And who gets the thanks? Verse 15, the last verse of chapter 9. Thanks be to God for his indescribable gift. Imagine doing so much for someone, helping them out in a time of desperate need. But instead of them thanking you, they thank God. Normally the way we look at things is if we give, even if we don't expect to get anything back, we at least want the credit. But what Paul is talking about here is the ultimate goal of why we help people. The ultimate goal is not for them to give thanks to you, but for them to give thanks to God, who enabled you to give in the first place. Sometimes when I see homeless people be given things that they need, 
I hear them say things like, praise God, praise Jesus, God bless you. And the cynic in me sometimes thinks, maybe they're just repeating lines because they know that it'll encourage Christians to give them things. But it's not like they often know that I'm a Christian and I haven't often brought up Jesus to these people. But clearly someone has. And I find, despite my cynical self, I find it a beautiful thing. That because of a small act of generosity, someone can be moved to be thankful to God for something that we do. And of course, this is true of any time we give generously that leads other people to give thanks to God. I think we find it hard to give in a way where we're not looking for thanks ourselves. But when we do it, when we give in that kind of way, we can see how worthwhile it is. Giving so that people give thanks to God takes a different way of looking at things. It takes seeing that everything we have is a gift from God. And it takes seeing that having a generous heart is itself a gift from God. And it takes seeing that it's a gift that through our efforts, we can bring about a harvest of people praising God's name. So we've seen in these two chapters that our giving comes from the sincerity of our love for Jesus. We've seen that our giving is ultimately from God and he rewards our giving with even more giving. And we've seen that our giving is so that, is so that people give thanks to God. What we've seen here is completely consistent with what we've seen throughout 2 Corinthians so far. It's not all about us. It's about God. It's, a, it's all about what Jesus has done for us. His act of grace in dying for us is what shapes our hearts, our lives, and our giving. So what does that say to us and how we give? I want to finish by focusing on a few things that this says to us. Firstly, we need to work on our hearts. Our giving needs to come from the gospel. It needs to come from what Jesus has done for us. Sometimes, if I'm honest, I find myself drawn to give because I want other people to know that I'm giving. And then I think, if I'm going to give, then it means I'll have less. So if I'm going to have less, I want people, as people look at the car that I drive or the house that I live in, that if they're not impressed, at least they'll be impressed that I'm a generous person. wonder if anyone, anyone else feels that way. It's like I'm trying to discover up impressive ways of giving so that I'll get back some kind of credit in exchange. That's what my heart wants to do sometimes. But I know that's the completely wrong way of thinking about it. When I bring my focus back to what Jesus has done for me and not what the people around me are thinking, then suddenly I want to give generously for a completely different reason. Because His grace changes me, inspires me, and enables me to pass on grace like Him. Do we properly realize that everything we have is ultimately given to us from God? And do we properly feel the weight of the truth that we are merely stewards of God's wealth? Do you feel the weight of that? That your house, your car, your money, your time, your intelligence, your gifts, everything you have been given is really just entrusted to you by God to use for His glory. 
Do we see that we can give no matter how much we have? Paul says we should give according to what we have, not according to what we don't have. We can give proportionally according to what we have. If you're a young person here today, you might be thinking, I don't have much in the first place. Have you seen house prices? I can't afford to give. Believe me, I can relate. Looking on realestate.com is a scary place. So we could say maybe in 20 years' time when I've achieved the Australian dream and I have my seven negatively geared houses, then I can give. But I know for myself, as I've worked more and gotten more money, has more money made me a generous person? Not really. If my attitude was that I would give when I felt like I have enough, I probably would never give. The call is for us to be proportionally generous with whatever we have. And it's not more money that motivates generosity. It's seeing what Jesus has done for us and responding. If you're a teenager here today, you might be thinking, I don't have anything. So any proportion of zero is zero. Fair enough. That's some clever maths. But you can still think about what you could give with the little that you might get sometimes. Maybe as part of your birthday gift or pocket money, you could ask your parents who they give money to and if you could contribute. You can think about being generous wherever you're at because it's not about how much you have, it's about your heart and your love for Jesus. We need to give according to the principles Paul outlines, freely, cheerfully, generously, not under compulsion. Do you give reluctantly? Are you excited to give money? Is it a priority for you to think about how you can be generous? Are you proactive about giving? I know I struggle with all of this, and I need God's grace to give me joy in sharing what He has entrusted to me. Most importantly, we need to see the point that Paul stresses. Not the giving itself, but the reason for the giving, because it reflects our love for Jesus. Jesus who gave his life for ours so that we may have eternal life. Ultimately, we want people to thank God for the generosity shown to them so that they might, tr- they might trust in him and gain eternal life. If you're not sure how you feel about Jesus here today, I hope that you've felt God's generosity in your life. And I encourage you to see it as a taste of the eternity that is to come if you put your trust in him. Let me pray for us. Dear God, I thank you for everything that you've done for us. And I pray that you'd help us, help that to be able to change our hearts. And that you'd help us, even though we can struggle, that you would help us to be generous like you and that we would point other people to you through, your, through our and you, ultimately your generosity. Amen.